Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that we find you in the eye of any storm. Thank you that there is an eye. There is a place of calmness, a quietness. Your spirit carves it out right in the middle of any difficulty we might be in, any confusion that we might be uh, addressing. And there it is, that place of quietness where, where you tell us, be still and know I'm God, and we, we determine we will be, and lo and behold, there we are in that quiet place. And in that quiet place, Father, that we've now entered through this time of worship, we would have you speak to us. Speak to us through your word, by your words. Let your Holy Spirit inform us even as he informed the ones who wrote them. For we ask this now in Jesus' name and for the sake of his church. Amen. Handling Troublesome Times. That's the title of this message. We're almost to the end of our handling series. Going through the book of James. James has been notifying the people of his day and down through the centuries, us today, concerning the circumstances of life that come against believers. The circumstances of life that challenge our Christian living. And we've titled every message, Handling This and Handling That and Handling Something Else. Today the message is Handling Troublesome Times. And this morning, as a country, we would look back on a most troublesome time, a time that led to long years of trouble and stress. And so on this Sunday, our key scripture from the book of James is amazingly apropos. That means it just fits perfectly. It's one of the last instructions James gave to his scattered congregation of saints. Its short, proverb-like nature provides a very clear directive to those of us who belong to Jesus Christ, to those of us who inhabit a world of trouble and turmoil. This message today, I trust, will add a bit of biblical perspective to James' clear directive. And it's a perspective that is all too rare, even among those of us who treasure the scripture. So let's make sure we hear it, take it in, evaluate it, and let the Holy Spirit affirm it to our hearts and minds. So here we go. We find it in today's key scripture, James chapter 5. That's the last chapter. Verse 13, it's almost to the end of the book. And James says this, Is any one of you in trouble? 
Every now and then I preach a message and somebody will come up to me afterwards and say, were you listening into my window this week around my house? It's like that was right for me. It's like you were listening in and then prepared a message for exactly what I need. Well, couldn't we accuse James of that? Is any one of you in trouble? See, that's almost a rhetorical question. It doesn't really require an answer. We're not going to take a vote. There isn't everyone almost always in some kind of trouble. Some kind of situation that is creating stress and strain in their life. So what does James counsel such a troubled person to do? He says just three words. He should pray. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Some of us were raised by parents who would say, figure it out. (laughs) You might say to somebody who's kind of not so sure you're giving them good counsel and and, and he'd say, uh, deal with it. James says three other words. He should pray. So to be clear as we begin this message, what exactly are we talking about here? What does James include in that word trouble? Well, it's used a lot in the New Testament. It can mean hardship, trial, tribulation, difficulty, challenge. It can mean something bad, not of my own choosing or making, that has come upon me. It's trouble. Now, James says, pray. Is there some insightful Uh, thing that we could gain by doing a word study of that Greek word for prayer? Well, let me tell you, he used the word that is the most commonly used in the whole New Testament for pray. It just means, you know, you know what prayer is. So he says, do it. Prayer. Pray. Talk to God about it. And I would just add in there, recognize in that conversation, recognize and confess his appropriate or his applicable truths. What are the truths of God that fit this situation that I'm going to pray about? Has God said anything about a situation like this? Is there anything that applies generally or specifically to this situation? Talk to God about it. Allow his Holy Spirit to direct you perhaps to the scripture, to the truth that does apply very specifically to it. Recognize, confess his applicable truths. See, recognizing them is only part of it. We need to confess that they are ours, that we accept them, that we will apply them and live by them. And then we say here, allow a biblical perspective. There's a lot of perspectives in life that aren't biblical. Have you noticed? In fact, there's not too many people that know what the biblical perspective is on anything. But we're saying here for us, in these circumstances, allow a biblical perspective to inform and establish your emotional and spiritual response to the situation. Troubles come. How do I respond? Allow a biblical perspective 
to inform and to establish your emotional and spiritual response to the situation. Now, it's imperative that we do that because of the validity of what I'm calling today, today's key dynamic. This is just a fact of life. It's a principle. It's a dynamic. It's a way things flow through our world and through our lives, and we can express it this way. Trouble can push God's truths out of our minds. Now, sometimes trouble pushes God right into our minds. You know, the old expression of the foxhole prayer. Bullets are bursting all around the soldier. He's down there in this little hole he dug that he's, he's thinking, I should have dug it three feet deeper. And he's huddled down there with explosions all around him. And like they say, there's no atheist in a situation like that. Oh, God, he cries out. Oh, God. And, and it's like life's on the line and God's on his mind. But more often than that, when trouble comes, things that stress us, that irritate us, that kind of are going to mess things up somehow for us or one we love, trouble can push God's truths out of our mind. Because we're thinking about the situation, thinking about what we could do, should do, might do, why it happened, who's at fault for it. And the last thing we have in our mind are our great truths of God that might come to bear on the situation and impact us in the situation. So that's a dynamic that I know I don't have to, I'm not telling you anything new. We know this, this dynamic happens in our lives. Trouble can push God's truths out of our minds. Proper prayer will bring them back. Now you notice, I didn't just say prayer will bring them back. Sometimes prayer will keep them gone. A prayer like this, oh God, I wish you'd just get that guy. <laughs> There's a little truth Jesus said about loving your enemies and doing kind to them. You know, that just, it, it isn't in my mind and it's now further away than it was when we started. So I said here, proper prayer. Proper prayer. Biblically sound prayer will bring back the relevant truths of God for the situation we're in. And so I got thinking about this. And I wanted to share with you three, what I'm calling, three trouble-defeating prayers. Now, this is not like the guy on TV who also says, and I have a prayer cloth I'm going to give you, and if you wrap this around your left ear and, and do something on your forehead, and you pray this prayer standing on one foot, it'll work. God never fails. No, it's not that kind of a thing we're talking about today. But these are three, three prayers that I believe are proper prayers. And they're prayers that recognize and confess before God things that are absolutely necessary to deal with trouble. And so we call them three trouble-defeating prayers of recognition and confession. Now, if you've already looked at your note sheet, you might already be gritting your teeth. If you haven't looked at your note sheet, just look at me right now, 
and say, I'm, I'm willing to pray these. If I'm in any trouble, given the situation I'm in right now, I'm willing to pray these. I don't even know what they are, but I'll take your word for it. Pastor Mark, I'll be willing to pray for them. Just think about where you stand on, because here's the first one. First prayer is expressed this way. It's not quite as short as James, just three or four, but we say, Oh God, Oh God, I recognize and confess that in this fallen world, trouble is part of the program you have established. Oh God, I recognize this truth and I confess this truth that in this fallen world, trouble is part of the program you have established in this world. Some years ago, I came across a theologically sound reading book for elementary school students. It's amazing to find a theologically sound book in our elementary school library, but I found this one for younger elementary kids. And the title of this book is Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. It's an awesome book. Should have won a Nobel Prize. Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Now, as you pick up this child's book and read it, you can see that it was written by Alexander himself. Probably an eight or nine year old boy is the idea here. So it was written by Alexander himself and it describes one terrible school day disaster after another. One embarrassing moment piled on top of another. That book most effectively communicates the utter despair that can overwhelm an eight or nine year old elementary school student. And he would come home day after day and share with his mother that he had had yet another terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And as you read through, day by day, every day's account ended with this biblically sound statement. Alexander writes, My mom says, some days are like that. Some days are like that. Indeed. Biblically speaking, it's a miracle that all days aren't like that. That there's ever a day that isn't like that. You see, once again, here's the first of our three trouble-defeating prayers of recognition and confession. Oh God, I recognize and confess that in this fallen world, trouble is part of the program you have established. Now, here's some biblical truths that underlie that prayer statement. First one is Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. 
Here we find God talking to Adam and Eve after they had disobeyed him, after they had sinned, after they had fundamentally had their, their marvelous spiritual being changed. And he says to them, Cursed is the ground because of you. This paradise they had been living in, this perfect world, this incredible place, he now says, will be cursed. The ground itself, the earth, the way that things function. Cursed is the ground because of you. He said thorns and weeds will come up, will harass you. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to make a living instead of just having this wonderful experience of picking already ready food to eat. No longer will life come easy for you. Difficulties will beset you. The earth herself, Adam, will oppose you. And so Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden and from the Tree of Life. Genesis chapter 7, about 1,500 years has gone by. Verse 11, as God is revealing to us what happened as he found but one family on the face of the entire earth that still was righteous, that was still true, that was still seeking to live obediently to him. One family only, the family of Noah, and he had him build an ark to save him from this thing that's going to happen that none of them had ever experienced before. But here, Genesis 7:11, that thing happens. It says, all the springs of the deep burst forth. And the floodgates of the heavens were open. And the entire earth was covered with water and drastically changed. You see, the great flood devastated God's original creation. Weather became most unpredictable and sometimes deadly. Human lifespans dropped dramatically. Adam lived up into his upper 900s. After the flood of Noah, very, very quickly, people got down to the middle 100s for a lifespan. The earth was changed. Everything about it was changed. It was a paradise no longer. And it became far more difficult to make a living than it had originally been for Adam when God first cursed it, still in a, in a perfect setting almost. Now you talk about the earth being against you. You talk about the earth making it difficult to make a living. It was, it was multiplied many, many times over what Adam and Eve immediately experienced. Now we come to the New Testament where Jesus is giving instructions to his own disciples. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he just says to them, in this world, you will have trouble. What a thing to say. Wouldn't you think the Son of God who's about to provide salvation for them, the Son of God who's going to make them children of God so that they're really heirs of Christ and they have power in the universe, they're God's kids walking around, they're, they're sons of the king, wouldn't you think Jesus would say, man, you stick with me. When I finish my task here, 
and you really get born again and you really become a child of God, this world is going to be a piece of cake. Unbelievers have trouble, not you. You're going to walk through this world as a child of God. You're going to give a testimony that your faith is in Jesus Christ and they're going to be lining up 12 deep at the door trying to figure out how to get what you got. He didn't say that. Though occasionally there are preachers and teachers around who imply, you know, that Jesus should have said that, could have said that, meant to say that. In this world you will have trouble. See, Jesus is acknowledging there, not only would they experience the kind of trouble that every human being experiences, but they would also be opposed by the enemies of Christ. Trouble-free living is simply not in the cards for followers of Jesus. It's part of God's program. Not only is the physical world cursed and broken and falling apart, and occasionally it falls apart on us, but coming to connect yourself with Jesus Christ by faith, there are those who specifically will be opposed to you because of your faith. And so, recognizing that fact, and having experienced many instances of it personally, the Apostle Paul encouraged Timothy with these words. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. He says, Timothy, endure hardship. He didn't say avoid it. He didn't say pray God to eliminate it. Timothy, Endure hardship as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. So basically he's saying, Timothy, don't be surprised when troubles of various kinds come. Don't be shocked by them. Don't panic over them. Don't immediately ask God to remove them. Your job is to endure them for Jesus' sake even as he did. So here then is the first point of our biblical perspective. Trouble in this world is part of God's program for man. That could be a lot to swallow. You might say, well, I've never looked at God that way, as actually planning into this world trouble and difficulty. I thought God's plan was still, for those who are his own, as much as possible to recreate a heaven on earth for them. Trouble in this world, biblically speaking, is part of God's program for man. You see, trouble should serve to remind us, should remind the whole human race that this is a fallen world and that God's curse of judgment is still upon it. That's the biblical story. That's the facts. And so, James has said, when trouble comes, I should pray. I should talk to God about it and I should recognize and confess his applicable truths in biblically sound prayers. I should live with my eyes open 
I should understand what kind of world I'm living in. And I shouldn't try my best to get God off the hook. Well, God would never. God loves everybody. God wants everybody happy. God wants this. God wants that. And you say, you know, I'm living in a world on a planet that God himself has cursed. So what are the implications of that? I'll probably run into trouble regularly. And it's just because of the world that I'm in that man, by his sin, create cause to happen. We're all living under judgment in that sense. We live on a judged earth. And frequently our earth is not cooperative with our desires. That's a fact. So we need to, when trouble comes, rather than letting our mind go to why did God, why shouldn't God, why, what am I going to ask God, our mind needs to go to our Heavenly Father and confess certain realities that we understand what we're encountering is exactly what this world provides regularly. Trouble and stress and strain, whether with sinful people or sinful circumstances or just brokenness, however it's found. So, oh God... I recognize and confess that in this fallen world, trouble is part of the program you have established. Now, here's the second trouble-defeating prayer of recognition and confession. It would go this way, Oh God, I recognize and confess that trouble serves a purpose in the life process you have designed for me. Oh God, I recognize and confess that trouble serves a purpose in the life process you have designed for me. Now that is a prayer that is biblically sound, but it is rarely prayed. It heads in a direction that most human beings would seek to avoid. We, by nature, do not want to admit that the trouble that has come upon us is serving any good purpose. Our knee-jerk reaction is to ask God to take it away, and the quicker the better. The unbeliever or the weak-in-faith believer frequently finds God to be at fault when such trouble comes. They question, why would God? How could God? Who needs a God who would let something like this happen? However, a biblically sound believer recognizes and confesses a much different approach to the troubles of life when they come. Part of that approach is found in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes, Suffering... He's assuming sooner or later it's going to be there in our lives. Well, what's it good for? Or why why did God allow it to happen? Why does it happen? Suffering produces perseverance. Have you ever seen the cartoons or the pictures? You know, it used to be rather popular about a little kitten in a tree just 
hanging on to the branch. Her whole body is below the tree. She just has her claws in the branch. And then usually there's words that say, hang in there. It never says, how'd you get up there, kitten? Where'd you get the notion that climbing this tree would be a good thing to do? No, I'm just, I'm just hanging in here. I'm here now. That's all that matters. Romans says that we, life is going to put us in some of those trees. And we're not going to be sitting up there building a tree house and enjoying our club. There may be times we're just hanging on by our claws, our fingernails. And the scripture says, and that pleases God when you hang on and don't quit. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance means just sticking with it. I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. And God gives us the strength to hang in there. If that kitten is a Christian kitten, he's never going to fall. He might be there day after day after day. And all the neighbors go by and say, yep, still up there. I'll tell you, that kitten is amazing. I don't know. I don't know. I wish my cat was like that. Perseverance. It's a good thing. But it requires something that makes you persevere. So suffering produces perseverance. And then perseverance, Paul says, produces character. Wow. Character. Character is, I'm not going to quit. It's that inner attitude that says one thing or another. So now we have the kitten hanging there. And if you could talk to her, she says, I'm not going to quit. You say, boy, that cat has character. That's not a quitter. She's given everything she's got. She's going to be there forever. And I tell you, it is just amazing to see. The character doesn't show up until time has gone by. See, part of the character is that she has perseverance. She won't quit. And then character, Paul says, produces hope. Well, I've been here for three years now. I'll bet I could stay here until Christ returns. Well, if I got her, I got her. You know, he does promise to return. And you know, he's actually given me the ability to hang in here for three years. So I guess I have the ability to do it. He's given it to me. And by the way, every year I'm up here, I'm one year closer to his return. So my hope is in him. And then Paul says, and hope does not disappoint us. Not if our hope is in God. Not if our hope is in Christ. Not if our hope is in the truth of God's word. That hope is never going to disappoint because those things are settled in the heavens. They are true and true forever. The truth is, of course, Hope in our magnificent Abba Father will never disappoint us. By faith, we see his hand in every circumstance, everyone that comes along. We trust him and even rejoice in his working in our lives. Isn't that true? 
even when you've been going through tough times and you see something developing in you that's kind of a good trait, at least you're, you're hanging in there. You've survived it. And you begin to feel a little bit, and, and it's like, you know, <laughs> it's good to know that God is, is faithful. Amen? It's good to know he's given me the strength to hang on. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling powerful. And that's a good feeling. And so here, based upon this whole sequence of things, here's the outrageous counsel that James gave in the very first verses of his letter to the saints. James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers. And then he could have said something that would give us pure joy. (laughs) Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So here we are. He's agreeing with the Apostle Paul. And when perseverance finishes its work, you will be mature. You will be mature. You can't be mature in Christ without having experienced persevering through something. So now we go back to the Apostle Paul. The perspective he shared with the believers of his day, Romans 8, 28, he says, now I want you to know in all things, God works. God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And so there the Bible tells us the almighty God is involved in all these things that have befallen us. He's working for our good. In fact, some of the good that he would work out in our lives and in the world can come in no other way than through troublesome times. And that became Paul's personal testimony. Philippians chapter 1, 12, Paul says, I want you to know something, brothers. I want you to know that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. It's been a good thing. Now, Paul wrote those words while he was imprisoned in Rome, awaiting trial before Caesar. And God was using Paul's troubles to spread the gospel. Others who were not in jail were taking the baton, as it were, and speaking the word of God, Paul says, courageously and fearlessly. And so Paul was saying, If it were not for my arrest and for the attention it has gained, this multiplication of proclamation would not be happening. So I thank God I was arrested. I thank God I'm in jail. I thank God that because of this, well, Paul goes on to say, he says, because of this, his faith in Christ was becoming common knowledge among the entire palace guard. Jesus was being talked about by these pagan Roman soldiers. Paul says, who would believe that? If I could have asked God, 
to give me a witness to, to these men, these centurions, these rough, tough Roman soldiers, ultimately even to give a testimony before Caesar himself, I would have asked him. And look, he worked it out. I could have never conceived how it would happen, but he worked it out. So here's the second point in our biblical perspective. God uses the troubles of life to accomplish his purposes in and through us. Now that's not all he uses. But he does use the troubles when they come. He uses the troubles of life to accomplish his purposes in and through us. And so troubles in this life, frequently ones we can't figure out why or how they happened, troubles in life should serve to remind us of the mysterious and masterful way that our Heavenly Father works in all things to accomplish his good purposes in us and in the world. But now here's the third trouble-defeating prayer of recognition and confession. And here it goes, Oh God, Oh God, I recognize and confess that my petitions in the midst of trouble need to be in tune with the process and the purpose that is being fulfilled in me. So that raises the question when James says, is anyone in trouble? He should pray. Now we're talking about, well, how should we pray? What should we pray? What should we say? And here we're saying, oh God, my desire is that every petition I bring to you while I'm in this jam, that every one of them would be in tune with the process and the purpose that you are fulfilling in me. I don't want to mess things up by my prayer. I don't want to miss what's going on by my maybe not well thought out prayer. Never do we want to pray counterproductively. That is contrary to the plans and the purposes of God. We want any petition we pray, especially in a time of trouble, to be in tune with the plans and the purposes of God. And so here this morning, just as we close, I want to share with you what I'm calling two in-tune petitions. We could probably come up with many, many petitions requests of God that would be in tune with his will, but here's two I'd share with you. At such a time, pray, oh God, develop Christ-likeness in me through this time of trouble. Oh God, develop Christ-likeness in me through this time of trouble. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, verses 21 to 23, he said, Christ suffered for you. He leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. And then Peter goes on to say, and when Christ was in that troublesome time, he did not retaliate. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, God the Father, who judges justly. That's the way Jesus handled it. Times of trouble, times of difficulty, times when opponents came against him, and ultimately, 
even the time on Calvary. You see, Jesus didn't gripe or complain or despair or seek sympathy or present himself even as a martyr, dying for the cause, or even as a victim of Satan. Peter would say, he would not say that it's okay or that it's completely natural to do any of those things, to gripe, complain, despair, seek sympathy, any of those. Peter doesn't say, well, that's just natural. Don't be hard on yourself if you do it. You can do that. It's okay. You see, troublesome times provide an opportunity for the Spirit to produce Christ-likeness within us. Jesus didn't do any of those things. We don't want to do any of those things. We want this time to actually help us grow in Christ-likeness. So we pray for that. Oh, God, develop Christ-likeness in me through this time of trial. Secondly, oh, God, bring forth a testimony from me. We could say just like you did from Paul. 2 Corinthians 19, verses 9 and 10, Paul says... And this is when Paul had that terrible, terrible struggle with what he called his thorn in the flesh. And he wasn't getting with the program immediately, was he? Because he said, oh, God, take this away. Take this away. He said, three times I pleaded with him to take it away. Completely contrary to God's plan. Paul didn't know at that time what God's plan was, but he was praying fervently. He's the Apostle Paul, for heaven's sakes. Wouldn't God do for him? He said, oh, Lord, take it away, take it away, take it away. This thing is almost more than I can bear. And here's what Paul says. God said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. The weaker you are, Paul, the more people can see my power in you. This thing is weakening you. You recognize it. You want to get rid of it. I'm recognizing it and saying I can use it. So then Paul shares his testimony. The testimony that grew out of that prayer time with God. He said, that is why I, that is Paul, delight. This is the new Paul. After God explained things to him. That's why I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. God showed me something. I understand something. I want the grace of God to be pouring into my life. And if these hardships are the doorway through which it pours, let them be there. I'll delight in them. Not even put up with them. Not even grit my teeth and bear them. I will delight in them because I'll see them for what they are and what they're doing. So in a word, and here's a Michael's paraphrase of Paul's testimony. I can hear Paul saying, I can't believe that God is granting me the privilege of displaying his sustaining grace in this way. I can't believe... And you know what that's like when people come up to you at times and they say, boy, I don't see how you're handling this. 
I don't see how you're putting you, the little kitten on the tree. But I don't know how you're hanging in there. I would have fallen three weeks ago. And Paul says, I delight in that. I love, I love to have people rejoice in what the grace of God is doing in me, and they see it. I can't believe that God is granting me the privilege of displaying his sustaining grace in this way. He is allowing me to be a living, breathing trophy of his grace. In the midst of this fallen, broken, God-cursed, trouble-filled world. That's quite a testimony. That's what God would have every one of us share as our own testimony, as we understand what is going on, as we understand the nature of life in this fallen, broken, God-cursed world, and as we understand the, the willingness of God to pour out grace upon us so that our sufferings might actually lead to perseverance and to character and to hope and to give us a, a kind of quality of life and witness, something like Jesus himself. I'll tell you what a testimony Paul's and others like him have been all through the years. So our final thought says this, nothing, nothing can produce in us what troublesome times can produce. Now, the unbeliever says the same thing. Well, I got scars all over me. Might brag about his scars. But for a believer, we're realizing as we look back over our life, you always have to look back to even come close to, to saying this. But you'd say, if it were not for that, I would not have this. God used that very thing I desperately wanted him to remove to actually produce in me something that a good time could never have produced. Nothing can produce in us what troublesome times can produce. Handle them when they come with prayers of recognition, biblically sensitive, and confession, a willingness to say, I will apply that biblical truth to my own life and to this circumstance. For doing so, will surely speed you on to perfection, toward maturity in Christ. Now, I don't have time to read it. I see our time is just about up. But on the back of your sheet, there is what I'm calling the believer's prayer in time of trouble. Read through that to this afternoon. There, most of this message is in one way or another kind of put in prayer form in that statement. We believers need to know how to deal with trouble. We need to deal with it properly, biblically, and allow God to use it dramatically uh, in our lives. Because the truth is, trouble will come. So, let's let God use it in the way he wants. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we look back a long, long time to the moment when James gave this counsel. Is any one of you in trouble? Even though he was writing a letter he was going to make copies of and send out, I'm sure he could hear the laughter come through the air. Oh, and 
when whoever reads this letter reads this question to them. Here they are scattered through the Roman Empire, scattered among people that don't know the Savior, scattered where they're looked upon as curiosities and difficulties and, and all this thing. And I, and I say, is any of you in trouble? Have trouble. Let him pray. Let him pray. And let him talk to God, our Heavenly Father, instructed and encouraged by the very Spirit of God given to him. Let him pray and bring back into the the front of his mind the great biblical truths that will sustain him, encourage him, and even help develop him during this time. Father, that's what we ask. Oh, help us to be aware that that we live in a world that you yourself has caused to be broken. It's a judgment upon sin. This world has not only been broken, it's been torn apart, it's been disrupted. The people on it create more damage to it. And all of that at times can bring real stress and struggle and trouble to our lives. But Father, no trouble is bigger than you. No trouble has been unforeseen by you. And even as you have broken this world, so you have made a way that people can be healed and fixed and made complete in Jesus Christ. So, Father, may that be true of us. For we ask it in his name. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.